0: Welcome to the Taiwanese Diaspora Podcast. I am Cynthia Lin and I'm really excited to share with you this collaboration done in partnership with TaiwaneseAmerican.org. For context, Leona had reached out to myself and Shin Yu, another podcaster um, and artist, to do a Q&A about Shin Yu's work. Um, and the conversation that we ended up having ended up taking a little bit different turn than I think what I expected going in. Um, so please enjoy the healing journey part is very top of mind for me um recently as I just came back from a long self-reflective walk on the Camino Portuguese. Um in the article itself that we are publishing on Taiwaneseamerican.org has additional responses from Shenyu. So without further ado, thank you so much Leona. Thank you so much Shenyu and I am excited for you guys to hear what we had discussed. Okay, so today I have the great pleasure of interviewing Shenyu Pai. We were connected by Leona from TaiwaneseAmerican.org uh, for a QA piece that you guys should all check out. Xinyu, I decided it would be nice to just chat um, and get to know each other as well. And so I'd like to invite her to introduce herself and some of the amazing work that she's doing. She's a poet laureate in Seattle. She hosts a podcast about Asian American diaspora experience and there's so much more and so much depth and so much like amazing work you're doing that I think for, um, for me personally, I'm trying to pivot into. So I'd love to just have you share some about yourself and your work.
1: Hi, Cynthia. It's a pleasure to be a guest on your show. Uh, my name's Shinyi Pai, and I've been an artist for probably going on about three decades now. I started early on as a poet and uh, really kind of centered text and writing storytelling and poetry in my practice, but I've also done performance work, installation, um, public art, and many different kinds of ways of expressing um, poetic language in the world. My uh, professional experience has been really eclectic. I've worked in Ad agencies and as a journalist and also worked for a long time in the nonprofit fields, uh, arts and cultural sectors, as well as philanthropy, but really felt myself burning out, I think, uh, doing events production and curation, particularly during the pandemic. And so in these last couple of years, I've really shifted more in my professional practice towards uh, centering creativity and the work that I want to do. And so that has really expressed itself through this podcast I've been doing for KUW and NPR which is uh, called 10,000 Things. And it's a show about Asian American stories and the things that we wanna carry with us um, in terms of objects and heirlooms that kind of uh, reflect our cultural and personal values. And um, yeah, I'm all about creativity and uh, working with communities and centering the
0: stories of uh, communities that you don't usually get to hear. Yeah, and that's so awesome. And I think the, Especially the API representation, I think, is just coming more to the forefront uh, in the recent years, especially through the arts. And I'm curious yeah. as to how you got started with the podcast and mm-hmm. how you pick what topics and people that you're interviewing. Like, what sort of do you have a list of heirlooms that you're focusing on, or are there specific people? Or listen to the one where you interviewed Congressman Andy Kim. Yes, Congressman Kim, who. Uh, you know, was cleaning up after the riots at the Capitol um, last sure. year. Uh, yeah, it's very fascinating.
1: Yeah, so um, I've been writing personal essays and nonfiction type work for a while, and it was during the pandemic and after the insurrection and after the Atlantis spa shootings where I felt like. Um, I felt really down about the kinds of stories about Asian American representation that I was seeing in the news. And the local public radio station, KOW, put out a call inviting community members to pitch them with ideas for podcasts that they might want to make with the radio station. And I had an old contact at the radio station, Jim Gates, that I had worked with before on um, storytelling project related to a different podcast that he produced about animals and the wild and conservation and nature. And because I'd had this really positive experience with this uh, podcast producer and editor, I said to him, you know, I'm just kind of feeling out an idea that I have about something I want to do related to Asian American stories that is very reflective of the time that we're living in and the need for narrative change and positive stories and this is like a handful of stories and I'm thinking about you know should I bother to work up something larger what do you think and he was totally encouraging and he would like he was like yes I would love to see a pitch and so then I built it out and I sent it in and it went through this kind of um Competition process and went up against probably about eighty other applications. Out of those eighty applications, uh, seven were selected for pilot process, where basically they paid me and paired me up with an audio producer and editor to make the pilot to be kind of like the test of what do you call it, proof of concept. And so we made one episode based on the story of Byron Ouyang, this Chinese American composer who inherited this Chinese English uh, dictionary from his father who passed away from cancer, and. Based on that story, the uh, radio station decided that they wanted to commission an entire season, which ran last year, and we are now in our second season uh, and will be publishing stories every Monday through the end of June, basically. How I go about picking stories. In that first season, you know, I really turned to my immediate community, which is largely artists and activists here in Seattle. And I wanted it for the most part to be very Seattle centric because it's the community in which I live. But the story that you listen to is more broader and national in that it was a story about Congressman Andy Kim. And this blue suit that he had that he wore on the day of the insurrection that became a part of the collections of the Smithsonian, um, Smithsonian Museum in Washington, D.C. They had asked him to donate that suit as an artifact that could tell part of the story of that day of January 6th. And that story and that image of him cleaning up the Capitol Rotunda after the rioters cleared the building just was so striking to me. Um, Seeing like an Asian American public servant, you know, picking up the trash that other people had caused, many of them white people. And, you know, just the kind of humbleness in that image and this idea of just carrying on. And, you know, doing what needed to be done, and it was so striking to me, as well as thousands and thousands of other people that like wrote to Andy Kim about like how how beautiful that that gesture was and just what that image meant to them. So, in that first season, I wanted to tell stories about like leadership and ways of being Asian and this idea that there was no one right way to be Asian. And so I think those stories were really about, for me, a kind of, um, I don't know, compelling quality that artists have in inventing and reinventing the world, as well as people who think very creatively about what leadership is and what it can be. And I think in the second season, um, what my podcasting team wanted to see from me was the uh, ability to push myself in having conversations with people that weren't part of my immediate community, talking to strangers and people across different generations about, you know, like a community-based bike club for Asian American and Pacific Islanders, or uh, for the last episode of this season, uh, interview Alice Wong, this incredible disability advocate and activist in San Francisco who no longer has a speaking voice. And so we wanted to kind of just take things in some new directions. But as for the objects, you know, oftentimes I am thinking about A kind of story or emotional mood or tone that I want to tell or build a story around and then the object kind of surfaces from you know kind of like a constellation of possible stories but then it isn't always necessarily a really concrete object like sometimes in in the first season it was like this is a story about a record player this is a story about a dictionary this season we have story about a bike and about a novel a Japanese American novel but I think as somebody who comes from a poetic sensibility, I love the idea of abstraction and like a broader idea of collections of objects. So when I was building the record player episode, I'd actually started with the idea of a song as an object that we carry within ourselves. And this idea of the abstractness of objects is important to me, like the notion of a voice that we can lose a voice um, and yeah, I like kind of trafficking in those kind of squishy gray areas. Like the first episode of this season was about name and a name change.
0: I am so inspired by all this. Um, <laughs> I guess I'm going to pivot a little bit because in your ability to do storytelling and to write and be in this gray space of abstraction, I'm saying this as somebody who's very black and white and trying to get into the gray zone because you know, we're, we're talking about the, that I just came back from my walk on the Camino and kind of doing a lot of self-reflection. And I think the last couple of years has been a really doing a lot of work on myself, self-love, self-compassion, et cetera. And I feel like there's this, this part of an artist, when you see true artistry comes out is when they really, really relate to themselves. Mm-hmm. So I kind of want to ask maybe a more personal question of like, how did you do the work on yourself um, to be able to share what's on the inside and then to be able to share what's, uh, in the community.
1: That has been a long, long process, you know, coming from, you know, uh, immigrant family, uh, you know, with very Confucian values and ideas of what women can and should be, what is a good daughter, what is a good wife, what is a good mother. I mean, there are a lot of different layers of social, and family conditioning to undo, which is a lifetime of work, right? And so I think that for me, from a young age, being able to turn to the arts was really important. Um, As a young person, I was always very invested in singing and music, as well as writing and poetry. So these kinds of practices that are about claiming a voice. I will say at the same time that it took a very, very long time to find that authentic voice or to allow myself to really come forward in a way. And I'll come back to that. But, you know, I think this idea of how we uncover our true selves, it is this like long, long walk that happens in community with others. Mm -hmm. I grew up in a community where there were really no Asian Americans for a long part of my life until probably junior high or high school. And I didn't always find those Asian Americans relatable Mm -hmm. for class reasons or uh, kind of like a Relationship to culture and history, even that kind of um, right identity of Taiwanese American is so complex. Depending on whether or not your parents are pro KMT or pro democracy, or what generation they came from, and were they working class or you know, or like academics? Right. I mean, it is so complex. Even Taiwanese American identity in itself, or are you indigenous? You know, from from Taiwan. So. I think that it it took me a long, long time and it wasn't until I actually came to Seattle in my 30s when I decided to study anthropology at a kind of doctoral level. I started reading about things like power and politics and positionality and really began to, I think, fill in gaps in my creative and artistic education in that, you know, my early training was very much, you know, English literature, poetry, writing, a little bit of translation, and these fields that were really about like craft, aesthetics, and there was this whole other part of like the perspective that was missing for me in these mostly all white art programs where you didn't really think about what BIPOC identity was 20 years ago, Mm -hmm. right, or power and privilege, and so in that way I think it was like a long walk towards understanding the ways in which um, my identity is not adjacent to white people as an Asian American woman, And it is very complex because it's not adjacent uh, with like BIPOC exactly either. But we have a very distinct experience as um, diasporic children of immigrants, right? So I think really learning about power and privilege has been really helpful in understanding where I fit into society. And um, I think also having a very strong spiritual practice has been very important to me. I know for you, you know, you spent this time walking on the Camino, which I've heard um, from friends is a very deeply spiritual practice of, of, yeah, letting go of a lot Mm -hmm. of things. And I think for me, since um, being in my 20s, I pursued a path of uh, Buddhist study, Mm -hmm. uh, very much in tandem with my literary studies. I went to this Buddhist college called Naropa University uh, that was founded by Tibetan Lama and Allen Ginsberg and Anna Waldman. And my own sort of personal orientation was always this idea for myself or this this uh, aspiration of bringing together the spiritual and the sacred alongside the artistic and literary. And that's never been something that I've veered from since the early 20s. So the work that I've had to do, I think to become more clear-eyed has had to do with, um, yeah, deeply reflective internal practices that also look very deeply at how I want to be in community with others, how I serve others and, you know, coming back to the idea of how I tell these stories of vulnerability. You know, poetry is a this interesting abstract kind of form in that, you know, there are lots of poems and poets who don't say a whole lot about anything. And maybe there were times in my early career where I was more interested in the playfulness that was possible in language and not necessarily being very direct. And I think that that has been um, something that I've had to work against now in my older life because it's like a pattern, you know, and it's a kind of code switching, trying on different kinds of language and you can get stuck in the code, you can get stuck in the mask. And I feel that in myself. And I think it's been in these last few years of writing personal essays and nonfiction that I have had to come forward more and being more direct about, what my personal traumas have been to let them go and to put them down. And in the stories that I tell what the blue with with ten thousand things, which used to be called the blue suits, so I kind of switch back and forth between them, you, you know, i I hadn't thought very much until season two when I started building the stories that there's a tremendous amount of trauma in these stories. You know, they're often about racism and bias and not being seen and loss of culture, cultural grief, racial grief. Mm-hmm. But I haven't thought about them as, you know, being framed around trauma in a, in a way because I'm not into like trauma porn, like that is not what this project is about for me, right? But I think in conversations I've had with uh, with a really unique colleague here who is a dancer and choreographer and has a somatic practice, I've had some really great conversations about what trauma is and um, I've been exploring, I think, in in my thinking this idea that a stage of trauma And and processing it and letting go of it is actually making a trauma public, speaking it and letting it go. So I think that these stories, you know, while framed around very complex notions of identity, which often includes some kind of cultural trauma or historical trauma, they're also about that transformation of trauma and... You know, I think if I'm asking for these kinds of stories from my from my storytellers and from my guests that it's absolutely critical that I also step up in this way and allow myself to be vulnerable and to come forward. And in that way, making these stories and exploring these voices as well as my voice alongside them has been very healing and helped me to go farther and deeper in my own voice towards telling different stories like this new episode that's going to come out on Monday Memorial Day is actually A really complex story of grief, personal loss about my experiences of having a miscarriage and about a a particular religious uh, object called a Jizo Bodhisattva that was used in a ritual that really helped me to move through a very deep grief that had stayed with me for many years. Mm,
0: that's, That's beautiful. And thank you so much. I'm so excited to learn about your podcast and very excited to... Listen to all the episodes now that I'm back in the U.S. and can. I mean, it's a lifelong process, right? Mm-hmm. And and there's I think different phases of work and awareness that comes with the healing process. Do you feel that um, the for you personally has the transformation been very noticeable at the various stages? And then has that really been able to come out in the work that you produce?
1: Yeah, you know, so I think that these last 10 years have been a period of integration for me. My son was born in 2013, so just about 10 years ago. And I think as that process of becoming a mother, it is about also looking at these different past identities and selves that maybe haven't been properly integrated, brought in. Like for instance, I think there was a large part of me that had like an internalized misogyny <laughs> towards myself, uh, largely probably due to Confucian parents and certain beliefs about what women should be or what they can do. And I think that there was this time when I finally had to reckon with that there's tremendous power in, um, yeah, really looking at what it is to, to be a mother, to mother oneself and to to facilitate the healing and the love that maybe never came through my parents. So it's absolutely imperfect. And you know, it's it's a slippery slide backwards at time, you know, but I, I think that focusing on that aspect of who I want to be as a complete and whole person has been very formative to being able to integrate that identity into the artwork that I make and some of the stories that I tell. Yeah, transformation healing. It's an ongoing process, I would say. And I think that my work, especially in poetry, now in nonfiction and podcasting has, yeah, had, I think, a a deep pivot in that the work that I do now is much more attuned to listening to myself and uh, looking at the experiences of community versus Maybe in my younger work, being more about reflection and a little bit of navel gazing. Like for me now, I think there's this consciousness that in this lifetime, I was born a human and I get to have a voice and to not use that voice seems to be such a a deep waste. So, you know, the healing journey is a very long one. It, it it feels sometimes like it's never ending and that the wounds are ruptured over and over again, you know, but uh, I think this practice of self-love and self-compassion also comes through these stories and telling stories about not being alone, even as we feel so deeply alone.
0: Yeah, thank you. I feel like you're just like speaking to my soul right now. <laughs> well, thank you so much. And you, So I think we should give a plug for all the various ways that listeners and readers can get in touch with you and follow your work.
1: Yeah. So if you want to listen to the podcast, 10,000 Things, we're available on all the major podcast apps. And you can also just go to NPR or KUW, KUW.org slash 10,000 Things spelled out. And uh, I'm on Twitter uh, at Shinyi Pai, just my name, as well as on Instagram. And uh, I have two books of poetry that will be out later this fall. One is a book of haiku comics that Uh, is illustrated by uh, a Latinx artist named Justin Roof down in Oregon and also a new full-length collection of poems uh, that will come out with Empty Bowl Press in September. So it's a a very wonderful time for me and uh, 10,000 Things will wrap up in mid to late June. There's still about three episodes to go I think so I hope you'll listen along with me and there's a whole first season too that
0: you can tap into. Awesome and hopefully there's a third season coming out in the fall. Thank you so much, Anu. I am so excited to connect uh, and excited to stay in touch. Thank you so much for your work and for being an advocate. And we know, you know, the API community is not a monolith, but it's really, really, really awesome to be able to have all these different voices represented. Thank you so much, Cynthia. And that's it for today. Please send me a message on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook at T-W-D-I-A-S-P-O-R-A Or shoot me an email It's hello at TaiwaneseDiaspora.com And if you or other people you know Have stories that they'd like to share On this podcast Please send them my way as well Some of you have asked about how to support the show So if you are inclined Go to coffee ko com Slash T-W-D-I-A-S-P-O-R-A To donate and if you like to read, check out my book recommendations at bookshop.org/shop/twdiaspora and 10% of the proceeds will come back to support the show. All right, see you next time.